How's everybody doing tonight? Good. How many of you like basketball? One person. This must be a rough time of year for you. Maybe you liked it up until yesterday. Um, obviously, March is a huge um, basketball month. Uh, March Madness is one of my favorite times of the year. Um, I love filling out brackets only to find out that they're going to be wrong, um, pretty much the way it always goes. Um, so ESPN is doing this, uh, this thing called uh, the Tournament Challenge, where you can go on their website and you can fill out um, brackets. Um, you can even go on there and see like the president's brackets and how he's doing. And, um, so anyway, there's, there's 4.8 million people uh, who, have, who, have, who are participating in this. Um, 4.8 million. Um, of those 4.8 million, uh, roughly 2 million of them, 42% of them, pick Kansas to win. The whole thing. If, if you're not aware, Kansas got beat last night. The overall number one seed got beat last night. Um, 98% of the 4.8 million people who are participating in the the tournament challenge, picked Kansas to at least make it to the Sweet 16. And they didn't. They lost. Even our president had him had them winning it. You know, and they were putting a lot of stock in that because he guessed it right last year. And so, you know, he knows what he's doing. And anyway, we'll, we'll move on at that point. Um, some of you are like, you know, I could, I could, care less. This really isn't a big deal. Who cares? It's basketball. It's a game. Um, now, if, if you were a Kansas player right now in this moment, um, you're probably feeling a little bit different than probably you and I feel right now in this moment. The disappointment that they're feeling right now is probably huge. Uh, if you've ever been there, some of your athletes, if you've ever been there, you recognize that. Um, and I would imagine they probably didn't sleep well last night at all. Um, that this thought of what if we would just have, and they're running through in their head, missed layups, they're running through in their head, turnovers, they're running through, what if we would have done this different, this different, and they're piecing all these different things together that could have made the difference. They're just, there's an unbelievable sense of disappointment that they're feeling, um, we're going to talk about disappointment tonight. So I hope you're not disappointed about that. Um, if you are, you came for a good night. Um, we're going to talk about what do you do when life leaves you disappointed. Um, the dictionary defines disappointment uh, as the feeling of sadness or displeasure caused by non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. Have you been there? I know the answer to every one of you is yes. Every one of us, at some point in our life, probably 10 minutes ago, uh, faced disappointment. Um, you know, maybe some of you shopping type, it was you missed a certain sale that you were hoping for. Maybe it was an online deal, you missed the headline, or they were sold out. Um, maybe uh, some of us who have kids, maybe th that there was a poor choice by your child, and that left you disappointed. Um, Maybe it was, uh, you ever gone to a movie 
and like the ratings were just so high, and they just talked up this movie like crazy, and you like walked out and you're just like, I just paid whatever you pay now, ten bucks plus like popcorn, so it ends up being like thirty five. Um, I just paid that much money for that movie. You just walk out disappointed. Um, maybe you uh, were hoping to get a raise or uh, maybe get hired for a job and it just didn't happen. Um, maybe you're banking on getting some money back in your tax return um, and uh, that just didn't go down, right? Or maybe you're studying for hours and hours and hours for a test only to find out that you didn't do well. You've been, been in these moments. Um, you put your everything into something only to walk away. It just wasn't enough. Um, how about sickness? I hate sickness. Um, not just like the flu type of sickness, but I'll never, I'll never forget the words from the mouth of my mom when she said, I have cancer. And just, I, I knew exactly where I was at and just the weight of my spirit just descending, um, unbelievably disappointed, um, or maybe the thought of she needs a new heart, those words of just the disappointment in that. Um, maybe it's a relational thing. Um, relationships are hard. Relationships are tough because you're taking sinners and they're supposed to, like, get along, and, like, that doesn't work a lot of times, um, especially when you when it comes to marriage and when it comes to relationship with friends and when it comes to relationships with siblings and parents and um, it's just disappointment all over the place. Death. Uh, I'm sure you've been there in some regard. Um, We're all pretty young uh, so it might be limited in some respect, maybe not. Um, But the disappointments that we face are all over the place, are they not? Okay, if, if you went back to your day, you could probably think of times you're like, oh, man, just all over the place. Now, now, some of them are really small, but some of them are just earth-shattering, just that leave you at the end of your rope where you have no clue what to do. Um, for the disciples, what was it? It was death. We, we've, been, we've been looking at the life of Christ, and um, the death of their best friend, the one they had walked beside for for years, the, the one that they had spent all this time eating with, ministering with, being around, him pouring his life into them, is gone. He's dead. Had done all these things, and then only one day to go to his funeral. Can you just imagine that reality? I wonder if it carried a little different weight than some of the death we've experienced, some of that disappointment that we've experienced in that regard. Um, I want to focus on one verse initially tonight and then have that verse take us, if you know me, if you've come to know me well, have us have it take us all over the Bible. Um, uh, because I always take us all over the Bible because that's what we need. Um, Mark fifteen forty six. this verse just kind of set the, t- I wanted to set the tone for where we're going to go tonight. Um, here's what it says, Mark 15, 46. And Joseph, talking about Joseph of Arimathea, who Rick talked on last week. Uh, and Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone around 
or, and, sorry, and he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Can you, can you imagine that moment? Like just the, the finality of that. Like when the, the stone probably uh, weighed several hundred pounds, required five or six people to move it, because oftentimes people made sport out of stealing bodies out of graves. And so in effort to keep people from doing that, they'd put these massive stones that would require numerous people to move them. In fact, the Pharisees, we learn, what did they do? They healed it because they were worried that the disciples would come steal the body that he rose again. And so in that moment when they rolled a stone and, and they closed the tomb, Finally, I mean, almost as if there's that, that sound of, he's, he's dead. He's really dead. Gone. Turn to, turn to Luke 24. The thought of them not seeing Jesus again, what we know in this moment that he rose again, that, right? But did they, did they know that? Did they think that was really going to happen? Um, I, I don't know. I think there'd be some speculation on that. We're going we're to look at one. In Luke 24, let me just kind of give you the background before we jump into the middle of it. Um, we're going to hear, hear about two disciples. And these two disciples, they weren't a part of the immediate 12. They were a part of uh, the extended disciples, uh, followers of Christ, which is really what a disciple is, a student. Um, they're walking down a road to a village called Emmaus. And they have this encounter. They don't know at the time that Jesus has risen from the, from the dead. Okay? They have this encounter, um, and that's what we're going to pick up. Look at uh, Luke 24, verse 13. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So here's what's happening. They're walking down this road, and they're just reminiscing. Uh, I don't even know if that's a good word because what they were reminiscing about probably wasn't all that glorious because really what the, the weight of what they're probably talking about was probably the crucifixion. But they're reminiscing about, man, do you remember the time when he turned the water into wine? Do you, do you remember the time when he took the, the, the five loaves of bread and the two fish and he fed 5,000 people and then, and then again he, he did it to four? Do you remember the time when he walked on water. They're just reminiscing, and probably what they're talking most about is the brutality of what they just witnessed in the crucifixion. So they're walking down this road. Uh, 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. Interesting. Uh, they think he's dead. 16, but, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. That's the picture there of just the overwhelming disappointment that they have. They're, they're, they're walking to this village, their Savior dead, and they're just broken and they're just sad about that, that reality. 18. Then one of them, Named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? 
Like, I think they're just like, who is this guy? Like, who doesn't know about what just happened? Who doesn't know about the fact that Jesus was just brutally murdered? Like, it's what everybody's talking about. What do you mean, what are we talking about? What, what do you think we'd be talking about? Are you new to town? It's kind of funny because they don't know that they're talking to Jesus. Yeah, I'm new around here. Um, and he said to them, what things? And they, they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests, priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So, so they're, just, they're talking about he's dead. But look at this next statement. Listen to the disappointment in verse 21. It says, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. It's like they they placed all their desire, all their focus, all their energy into maybe he's the one who's going to save us. And they're walking down this road just sad. Man, we were hoping he was to find out that now he's dead. Back, back to the, the grave, the tombstone scene. The, so the tomb rolls closed and they're asking this question, is he really dead? Like the closure of that moment and those words probably resonate in their minds. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem us. And the disappointment in that moment is this disappointment of, I guess this isn't the one. It's not him. Uh, maybe you've been there. Have you? Can you think of a time you've been there where you were banking on a certain situation going a certain way and it didn't? It just did not happen. Here's a question. What, what do you do in those moments? Anybody? What do you do? You can interact. I know this isn't normal. But what do you do in those moments when things don't go how you want them to? Like we all have them. And I think how we answer that question is, is really, really important. Why, why do I say that? Because life's full of them. Right? Life's full of disappointing moments. Disappointment after disappointment. Things not going the way that we want. And even for some of us, God has us in a season of brokenness and a season of suffering. Um, And so there's disappointment a lot because we don't see it. We don't get it. We don't know what he's doing. We're trying to see it. We're trying to work through it. But it's really difficult. Can, can you prepare for disappointment? If you knew it was coming, right? If you knew like exactly what was going to happen, um, c- can you change? Can you, does, it, does it change how you would approach the situation if you knew the disappointment was going to happen? Go back to the disciples, Okay. Should they have known? Well, absolutely. Why? 
Because Jesus told them like crazy. Let's look at three examples. Jesus tells them that he's going to die. Okay? Um, there's, there's numerous places. We're going to look at three. The first one is in Mark 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man may, may, or must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. Chapter later in Mark 9, verse 31, he says, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. A chapter later, in chapter 10, verse 33, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. So, they should have known, right? Not that that would take away the disappointment. Oh, we knew he was going to die, so that's no big deal. But what we know on this side of the story, that he's going to rise again, they should have, they should have known not only that, but the Old Testament writings predicted too. In Isaiah 53, it says this in verse 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to shame. So should this change how they handled it? Yeah. I think absolutely should have. Let me give you an example. Um, What if I told you that your car was going to break down? This is a pretty much... uh, uh, a promise thing for, for us, um, we know, it's like a word from the Lord, your car will break down. Um, it's just what happens to us. So if I told you your car was going to break down, um, what would you do? We'd probably start preparing for that. You'd probably save a little bit of money. Um, but if I told you, let's add to this, if I told you it was going to break down, but it was going to cost several hundred dollars to fix, so you would begin saving that money. Now, a couple things that would help is if you knew exactly how much it was going to cost and when it was going to break down. And you could kind of project, um, okay, a month, so we need to save this much. And some of you are like, I, don't, I wouldn't do that. Uh, I would say, just give me some money. Um, but you'd begin to project out, here's exactly what we need um, to pay for it. Okay, so let's say the car then breaks down. It happens, okay? Um, I don't know about you, but I never like paying hundreds of dollars to fix my car. It's just one of those things that's like, really? Only to just have it do the same. Like, I want to pour money into it, and then it be like a robot, or it do something really cool, because I just poured several hundred dollars into it. Now I expect it should function better, and it just functions how it's supposed to, only to break down later if they rig these parts. Um, but, so, how does disappointment relate to that? Here's how I think it relates. Um, you would still, even though you were prepared for that, you'd still turn around and point that you had to pour $700 into fixing your car. So, even though you're prepared, there's still this weight of, man, I just don't want to do it. 
Okay, and so the disciples, they have this perspective of, they, they were told, Jesus told them, this is what's going to happen. They, they knew it, but all the while, like, they didn't, it didn't affect them. They didn't believe it. I, I want to give you several, several things on how to handle disappointment from this story um, and from other places in the Bible. First thing, know that it's coming. I think we would be uh, at a really uh, unfortunate place if we didn't anticipate disappointment happening. Why? Well, we live in a world that's broken, it's fallen, that um, there's sin all around us. Disappointment, it, it's a part of that. It's a part of life. Um, not only that, but in John sixteen thirty three, Jesus says, it's going to happen. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. Write that on your mirror. I'm claiming that one. We're going to have trouble. Woohoo! I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact. You will have trouble. Um, I particularly like Peter when he writes in 1 Peter 4.12. He says, beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Like, you ever been in that moment? You're just like, what is going on? You're just like, this is weird. Like, why, why is this happening? And like, the Bible's like, it's not strange. This is very common. It's happening all over the place. In fact, somebody just down the street, it just happened to them. Somebody sitting next to you, it just happened to them. It's not strange. It's a part of a broken life. Jesus said, it's going to happen. And then this one uh, struck me as well as I was reading on troubles and worries. Um, and there's a decent number of young young marriages in here. Um, how long have you guys been married? Almost nine years. All right, well, there's a handful of under five. What do you guys? Year and a half. Almost three. Travis, you were looking at Megan on that one. What'll work on that? <laughs> I was just playing. Um, how long have you guys been married? They said that together. Well done. <laughs> um, so there, there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 7 28. Um, I think if we would have read this at the beginning, maybe it would have helped. Not the beginning of my sermon, but like the beginning of marriage. Um, or maybe you knew it, but uh, here, here's what it says. Those who marry will have trouble, will have worldly trouble. Like, man, why didn't they tell me that? It would have helped. <laughs> so for those single guys who aren't married, you know, you can uh, write that on your mirror as well. Next to the, uh, you will have troubles and claim the promise. Um, but, but what is that saying? It's saying, like, why do we think that it should be easy? Why do we think that the things we do in life should be handed to us, that they're not going to be hard? Expect it. Second thing, don't have a higher view of this life than Jesus did. What do I mean by that? Okay, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with this. Wanting life to go well. 
There's nothing wrong with the Kansas players wanting to win. In fact, there'd be something somewhat sadistic if they were just like, man, I hope we lose. There'd be something quite odd if you hoped your life didn't go well. Wouldn't you agree? Sure. Yeah. But what's, what's the point? We can make a God out of that. We can make a God out of this idea that I just want everything to go well. I just want everything to go perfect to the point where my pursuit is, is no longer Christ, but is that my life happens the way that I want it to, that disappointment doesn't happen. So you try to line up your cards and your dice and whatever. You try to do certain things and take certain steps so that your life happens a certain way. All the while missing everything God has for you. Now, it's not that we, we can't do those things. It's not that we can't plan. It's not that we can't think and you know, plan for the future. But, but it can become an adulterous pursuit. Where it's an idol. And we don't live in the reality of Matthew 6.33 that says, Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. God's going to take care of the rest. We don't live under the weight of Philippians 3. Paul says, I consider everything loss compared to the surpassing view of knowing Christ. So what does that mean? It means that however my life looks doesn't matter as long as I know Jesus. That's a crazy reality. That's all secondary stuff in view of who Christ is. Number three. How do we handle disappointment? Know that there is a good and faithful God on the throne who has a plan for his people. But not only that, he he has this plan so much that even when you and I screw it up, he's still in, in control of that, which is odd. Even when we bring the disappointment, because some of the disappointment that we face in life is really brought on by our own stupid choices. Right? I mean, maybe it's just me and the two others that were shaking their head. But, like, a lot of times that's what it is. It's not always that way, but it's, we take these steps, A, B, and C, and what happens? We, We get C, we get D, or we get whatever. We get the next thing because we took these steps and the result is what we asked for. But in the midst of that, this is Romans 8.28, is it not? And God is able to, to make all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined that we might be conformed to the image of his son. Acts 17 says, God set the times and the places that we should live and walk, walk in hopes that we might seek him, reach out for him, and actually find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Number four. Disappointments remind us that nothing will ultimately satisfy us except the Lord. Disappointment, that's what they do. When when you come to the place where you're disappointed... Where does your mind go? Well, this is a question I asked earlier. Like, how, how does your mind think when life doesn't go the way you want? Where, where does your mind go? 
Is it a reminder of, okay, this, this wasn't meant to satisfy me. This is not where it's at. Although the world will tell you, here's where it's at. They'll have their list of things. Here's what you need to pursue. And Jesus is like, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I am. I am. But here's a question. Because the statement says, they remind us that nothing will ultimately satisfy us except the Lord. What if, what if what's disappointing you is the Lord? So it's like life isn't working, everything's going bad, and you're like, I'm resting in the hope that I have in the Lord. Okay, but what if, what if you're at the place where you're like, man, God did this to me. I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you let this happen. And you're disappointed in him. Now all of a sudden, what hope do you have? This is what Lamentations 3 says. It's 3.16 through 18. And he made my teeth grind on gravel. It's an interesting thought. He made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope. He's like, I don't even have hope in the Lord anymore. It's gone. Because all of a sudden, you feel victimized. You feel like, you've done this to me. But the key word here that I think handles this is the word perspective. Because I can take my daughter, and I can discipline her, and what happens, she feels like the, the disappointment in that moment Moments is, is all about this red hiney, okay? When, when my pursuit of disciplining her is a pursuit of love for her. Like, her perspective is different than my perspective. Like, our perspective is, is always going to be different than, than his. Now, now, the goal is to begin to see how he sees and begin to have the perspective that, that he has, but his mind is not, not our mind. It's so much higher is, is, are his thoughts than our thoughts. That's why things sometimes aren't going to seem right. They're not going to seem like they go down right. And we're going to be disappointed when in reality he's like, I'm protecting you. Me saying no in that moment is the most loving. And you don't see that right now. You don't see that right now. So what keeps us, here's a question I want want you to think about. What keeps us from, from getting mad at God? When disappointment comes. Number five is the answer to that. How do we keep from getting God? Recognize that God owes us nothing but hell. See, I think, I think too often than not, we, we live our life feeling like God owes us. Like if we do these certain things, that if we act well, that if we read our Bible, that if we pray a certain amount, like God owes me. And I deserve something. And so then when we're living life and we don't get it, and we're disappointed because we didn't get it, all of a sudden we're mad at God because we feel like we've earned it. That's a really dangerous place to be because we want to talk about what, we, what we've earned. We want to talk about what we deserve. Like God's only done you good. God has only done you good. Why do I say that? 
Because anything short of hell is a manifestation of God's grace. So even disappointments are grace. Because they're not hell. Man, if we could get our minds around that. I know that's kind of this like out here reality. Like, oh, that's a cool theological thought. Moving on. Like, no, like for real. Like the weight of that. Like what I deserve for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. God doesn't owe anything. Number six. How do we handle disappointments? Take God at his word. Take God at his word. This is a really interesting one. Because you know that the enemies of Jesus took God at his word before the followers of Jesus. That question up there? Put that question up there. Why do the enemies of Jesus recall his resurrection predictions better than his followers? Let me give you this example. Let me show you where this is talking about. In Matthew 27, here's where the Pharisees believed in him. 27, verse 62, it says, The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, that after three days he will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the, until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and take the people, or and tell the people. He has risen from the dead, and the, the last fraud will be worse than the first. So they're like, he said he's going to do it. He probably will. Let's go guard the tomb. They believed him. They believed what he said. Now, contrast that with, the disciples in Luke 24, verse 5. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he, was, while he was still in Galilee? But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They didn't take him at his word. Which is an interesting thing, considering all the things that Jesus said and all the things that he did to back up what he said. And they walked away just, I don't believe him. His enemies believe him. I want to end at Romans 4. So turn, turn to Romans 4. I really encourage you to uh, have a Bible when you come here. Um, I know we have them and you can borrow them. I don't like putting all the verses on the screen uh, because it can just become this thing where you just sit and you don't do anything and uh, having your hands on a Bible and turning to references and uh, it's so, so important. Um, but in Romans 4, before we get there, I want to remind you uh, of a passage we looked at earlier. I want to remind you of the disappointment that the disciples on the road to Emmaus faced. Um, here's the statement in Luke 24, 21. It says, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So he's dead in the tomb, and the weight of this thought of all that they thought Jesus was is gone, dead. The disappointment of that. And then we come to, to Romans 4, which is actually about Abraham. Start at verse 18. Romans 4, verse 18, talking about Abraham. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Okay, let me explain that. In hope, he believed against hope. 
That's kind of an odd statement. Um, here's what it's saying. It's saying, in hope, what kind of hope? In his hope, in the promises of God, he believed against this man-centered like, desire for something. So in his hope, based on who God said he was, what God said he had promised, this guarantee that this would happen, he believed against what we would consider hope. This, uh, I hope Kansas wins. They don't. So in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the bareness of Sarah's womb. Okay, so here's the dilemma. God's like, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations, okay, which would require him to have kids, but the dilemma is he's 100. And, and not only if, if that's not a problem in and of itself, like we could stop there and be like, okay, problem, 100 years old, not happening, okay? But then I'll, I'll add to that, his wife cannot bear a child. So you take those two things, and it's like, how am I going to be the father of many nations? I can't even, my wife can't even have a kid. Keep reading. When he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, and this is just unbelievable, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. How unbelievable is that statement? fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So here's the situation. God had promised it. In the same way that he promised he would die, in the same way that he promised that Jesus would rise from the dead. And in that situation for the disciples, it didn't make sense. The disappointment and the, he's dead, what's going on? Like, the odds stack up against him, but just like they did to Abraham. But in that moment, what happens? Like, Abraham's like, man, it doesn't make sense. But I'm convinced, I'm fully convinced, God is able to do what he's promised. Jump to chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand and we, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The NIV literally says this. Hope does not disappoint us. So, what do you do in life's disappointments? Like, where's your hope? Is it, is it in like the next Whimsical desire? Oh, I hope that one works out next time. This one didn't. Man, that's no way to live life. Abraham, his, he, he rested his hope in convinced of what God has promised. Here's the problem I want to challenge you with. Do you know what God's promised? Like, what do we, what do we hope in? If, if, 
our, our hope is what? It's not this man-centered, man, I, I would desire this to go well. But it's like, no, here's what God has said. Word from the Lord, here's what will happen. It becomes very problematic when we don't know what that is. Or when that's not fresh in our minds, when we're not in God's Word, knowing what He said, knowing what He promised. Then our hope is what? In something we learned years ago? Something somebody else told us? Those work to an extent. We talked earlier, what has God promised? You're going to have trouble. <laughs> but all the promises of God aren't negative. Um, I have a really, uh, this might shock you, but I have a really bad memory. And so when it comes to like remembering uh, certain things, like I just have to write it down. So I keep this, I keep this, uh, this thing in my pocket. Um, and it's just promises of God that, that I cling to when I really doubt what he's doing. And there's times when in order for me to hope, in order for me to be fully convinced that he will do what he's promised, I have to say, okay, Lord, remind me what you've promised. It's just, it's just a tangible way to say, okay, how do I know what he's promised? The word of God in our culture today has been really thrown out and not seen as having much authority and not seen as having um, much weight on our lives. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's not good. And my challenge to you is, like, do you find hope in it? But not just in a book, but in a book that points us to him. Because guys, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Disappointment's everywhere. You'll, you'll turn your phone on if you haven't found out already and you'll find out somebody lost a game. Duke lost. No, I don't know if they did. Hopefully not. Like the, the, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But, but deeper than that, you're going to find out deeper. Who cares about the games? Like what about life stuff? Like it's going to happen. It's, in this world, you will have trouble. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he's promised? And do you know what he's promised? Let's pray. King Jesus, your hope for us is so vast. Your desire for us and our lives is, I wonder sometimes if you look down and you almost chuckle at some of the goals we set for our lives, and you think that's all you're striving for. I wonder sometimes if we just don't get it in that regard. God, that your hopes for us aren't that life will be perfect aren't health, good health, good wealth, and prosperity. You've even said life's going to be hard. 
In this world, you will have trouble. But God, the hope that you will do what you have promised. God, might you wash over our minds with that tonight. God, I just sense this somber spirit. I guess when we talk about disappointments, maybe that's going to happen. We talk about death. God, would you bring life to this place? Would you awaken us? Would you awaken us to see you, God, for who you are? That you are faithful. You cannot deny yourself. And you will not deny us. Because we are accepted. We are yours. By the blood of your son. And so we, in this moment, rest in nothing but you. Because you're the only sure thing that we have. So God, might we find our confidence in that. Might we worship you for who you are. And God, might that be a bedrock of strength and shelter moving forward. God, thanks for your word. Impressing us with it tonight. Thanks for the hope that we have in you. It's in your name I pray, amen.